to the podcast for Sunday, November 22nd, 2015. May God use this as a blessing to you this day. So thank you for this opportunity to present the word this morning. Um, Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, we invite you here in this space. Soften our hearts so that we can receive your word in our lives. May it change us, O Lord. May we draw closer to you and open our hearts to receive others as well. In Christ we pray. Amen. So the title of this message this morning is The Paradox of Generosity. Giving we receive, grasping we lose. I know sometimes it's easy for us to get into this mentality where we have to preserve what is ours. We have to defend our rights and our place and our stuff. Um, Sometimes fear gets in the way, and because of our own fear, we, we think that if we share a little, bit, a little bit, people will be entitled and just take over everything that we have. And so because of that fear, sometimes we keep holding on. Friends, this morning, we have to be careful about that turning into materialism, greed, entitlement, arrogance. It's easy to be entrapped in, those, in that mentality. There's a story about these hunters in Africa who were trying to capture these monkeys. So they used g- gourds. Um, these are squash-like, um, it's like a squash-like vegetable. So what they did is that they uh, cut a little hole on the side of this gourd, and so that the monkeys that would come, they could stick their hand right inside, and inside they placed peanuts. So these monkeys would come, they would smell uh, this gourd, they would put their hand inside and reach for the peanuts, and then figure out that they couldn't remove their hand, that it was stuck in there. Now, the, the hunters would come, and they would place their nets over them and then capture them. Now, I imagined myself, as I was reading this story, being right there with the monkeys and yelling out, release the peanuts. Let go of the peanuts. You can be free if only you let go. But because they're so tunneled visioned, you see, that's the only thing they see right in front of them is, are those peanuts. And they can't see the broader perspective. Here's a picture of these monkeys that come get entrapped. Friends, the, the scripture this morning is challenging us to live not as trapped, entrapped people, but that we are truly free that we learn how to be open-handed and open-hearted. Because when we live in an open-handed way, in an open-hearted way, then we experience the fullness of God's love. Then we experience the joy of living a very purposeful 
and beautiful life, not the other way around, not holding on to our stuff, but actually letting go. And we're going to tackle that in the scripture. But before we get there, there is a study. Uh, this title, The Paradox of Generosity, um, is actually a book that was written last year by Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. They did the most extensive study on generosity that we've ever seen. In fact, it took over five years to collect all their data. Um, They interviewed over 2,000 people, 40 families, of course, it included different classes and races, and it extended over 12 states. So this is a national study that has been done. And this is the findings that came out. Number one, those who claim to be very happy volunteer an average of 5.8 hours a month. Those who claim to be unhappy in this study volunteered merely 0.6 hours. So there's a, there's a connection here with the amount of volunteering or time you spend giving your time to other people. Number two, Americans who donate more than 10% of their income have lower depression. 41% say they rarely or never experience depression versus 32% of everyone else. So they found a connection with people donating their money to causes they believe in that that lowers depression. It makes sense. Um, because as you give, you feel better. And it, it lifts maybe the depression that we feel psychologically. Number three, those who are emotionally available, hospitable, gracious kinds of people are more likely to be in excellent health. Uh, 48% uh, in comparison to 31% who were not emotionally available, hospitable, and gracious. So these are folks who are open, they're warm people. We've been around people like that, yes? Where we, when we're in their presence, we feel a sense of warmth. There's an openness to them. We've also been around people who are not very warm, um, who might have a, uh, keep their distance away from you. Their body language may communicate to you, please don't talk to me. Please don't look at me. I don't want to engage. Obviously, those people may be struggling with um, not just uh, depression, but also that's going to affect their health, being closed off. There's something beautiful about how God calls us to connect beyond ourselves with other people. When we're in community, that affects how we feel, (laughs) It makes us feel good when we give of ourselves, when we open up our hearts, when we extend ourselves outward instead of being focused completely inward. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. You're welcome to pick up a Bible if you choose to do so. I'm going to give you a little bit of a context. There is a, a man in Scripture. His name is Paul. Paul used to be called Saul, 
But because he encountered God, he had this amazing experience with God, his name changed as well to uh, depict that there was a change in his heart. So he went from Saul to Paul. The hope that he felt in Christ was so remarkable. It, it, it impressed them so much that he wanted to bring hope to other people um, in addition to the Hebrew folks. He, he grew up Hebrew, Jewish, and he wanted to take the hope of Christ outside to those who were not Hebrew as well. So he traveled a lot. In his travels, he came across uh, the Greeks in this, in this Greco-Roman world. And the Greeks were very wealthy. Now, years passed by, and churches were built in Greece, especially in Corinth. And as the years passed by, there was a great famine that fell in Jerusalem. And so Paul felt in his heart, moved by the Spirit, to get help for those who were hungry in Jerusalem. So he went to the Corinthians and he said, will you extend grace? Will you extend help and bring food down to Jerusalem? And so they agreed. And so he was in discourse with them. He was communicating with the churches of Corinth um, through these letters. And this is a portion of the letter starting in verse 6. The point is this. Uh, Paul has a tendency to go on and on and on. So finally, he's getting to the point. The point is this. The one who who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, the Corinthians and the ancient world, they understood these kind of farming terms. They understood what it means to have a garden and to have, uh, to be able to sow. And if you sowed sparingly, you're not going to get a lot of fruits. But if you uh, spread the seed thoroughly, then you would get a lot of fruit from it or a lot of vegetables from it. Now, this word bountifully in Greek is this word evlogia. It is also the word for, if you can recognize, a eulogy. Eulogy or evlogia means blessing. It's like when you go to a funeral service and you hear somebody give a eulogy. They express how blessed they were from this person. So they want to share to everyone the blessing they received so that the people who didn't know this person could engage in this blessing, to feel a sense of joy for this person's life. When we sow blessing, friends, do you hear this? When we sow blessing, the blessing that God has given us, when we extend it out, then it brings blessing to the people who are engaged with us. Verse 7. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind. Be intentional in your giving. Think through what it is that you want to give. Because to think through, you have to actually process what has God blessed me with. Okay? We process what God has blessed us with. 
And then we say, I want to extend this blessing out and be intentional about it. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not reluctantly. I know as I think about uh, being reluctant personally, there's two times I've been reluctant. The, one, the first time I've been reluctant is when I've, I've saved up for something. And I have certain money set aside to get me something special because I've worked really hard for it and I really deserve it. You see how this is working out? <laughs> I really deserve uh, whatever it is that I'm about to get, some new kitchen uh, thing, or I really deserve a vacation, or I really deserve this thing. And so I'm then reluctant to give. The second time I've been reluctant in giving is when I didn't have enough. You know, if I had to pay for heat or gas or for rent, then I needed to use that money to care for my family first. And here's the thing, folks. If you need to care for your family, that's a service to God as well. Care for your family. (laughs) Do not say, well, I'm just going to jeopardize my family or I'm going to trust God and give this money over to the church or to a nonprofit or whatnot, and God's going to provide for me. Yes, God will provide for you, but please do not be stupid. God is calling us to love and care for the people that are in front of us, and that means your family is important. So if there's reluctancy, or and don't give under compulsion, because you want to save all the whales in the ocean and you get give to this organization because there's an impulse to give. Yes, we all have um, a need to give because it helps us feel alive and good when we give. But when, when you give, give like a cheerful giver. Give when the Spirit stirs in your heart. You know when you give and it feels good to give? You know when you buy the Girl Scout cookies <laughs> and you think, goodness, this feels good because I'm investing my money in something that I care about, the children, the children of this next generation. You know when you buy food for that homeless man or woman on the street and you see just a glimmer of hope? That's what God is calling us to do. To give in such a way where it produces joy in us, through us, and to the people that are in contact with us. Because that joy that Girl Scout girl gets when you buy cookies from her is contagious. We are called to be joy givers, and we do that by sharing our blessings with those around us. Verse 8, and God is able to provide you with every blessing, 
every grace, the word here for blessing in the Greek is charis, which is every grace possible. And grace is things that help you, means to help you connect with God and to connect with others. And when we have that kind of grace, God's grace in our lives, it produces chara. Charis, chara in Greek is joy. It is almost the same word. Grace produces joy in abundance. Not just a little bit. An overflow like a spring of water that keeps gushing out with water. This is the kind of joy that the Spirit gives when we participate with God. So that by always having enough of everything you possibly can need, you may share abundantly in every good work. This is how we engage God, by participating in grace. The grace we receive is the grace that we hand out. In verse 9, as it is written, and Paul here is quoting uh, an old Testament scripture here referring to God. God, he scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His righteousness or justice here endures forever. God's grace, God's love, it's scattered recklessly. We can't sometimes scatter love recklessly. We're afraid to. But God's love is scattered recklessly. It's like the parable in the New Testament of the sower that had seed and spread it everywhere on the rocky soil, on the rocky path, in, in, the, in the soil that had thorns, in places where it wouldn't grow. It doesn't matter. God's grace is scattered recklessly for every single person. Because God loves us and is doing what is righteous, doing what is right. So God, he, in verse 10, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed so that you can sit with all your stuff and enjoy it by yourself? No. (laughs) I caught you. God supplies for us so that we can sow, supply and multiply your seed for sowing. We receive blessing so that we give blessing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, doing what is right, standing with God and doing what is right. In verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. This word generosity, um, the best way for me to describe this word in the Greek is like taking a tablecloth, you know, a a folded tablecloth. And when you kind of spread it on a table and it takes over kind of the whole table and it creates a place for other people to engage and to participate and to sit and to enjoy and to delight. This is what this word means, this generosity. When we choose to 
open up our lives and invite others to participate with us. Verse 12. For the rendering of this ministry, so when we do this, this ministry, when we give, when we we extend our hearts, when we live open-handed and open-hearted, this word, this ministry word, is the same word for liturgy. Liturgy means the work of the people. Liturgy is when we uh, practice worship. So when we, ex- when we extend ourselves and do and live in this way where we share our lives with others, we are in fact worshiping God. It's our life style, our lives that are in worship to God. It not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, through through this work that we do, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others. There's a few things that make me really upset. And one thing is when people confess that they have hope with their lips, yet do not act or give hope to anybody else. Do you hear what I'm saying? They say they've been awakened by Christ. They have that they're in connection with the living God, yet they're unwilling to extend any hope or care or love around them. Friends, we have to be careful that this this doesn't become us. If we say that we have been awakened by God's love, by God's grace, we better be willing to extend grace to the people that are around us. That's what Christ does in us. God awakens us to be the God who is, chooses to be servant of us all in Christ, teaches us to be in service. Does that make sense? To give generously as God has given us generously. 14 and 15 here. While they long for you, and these are the people back in Jerusalem, and pray for you, speaking to the Corinthians here, because of their surpassing grace of God, of God that he has given you. So they, they in Jerusalem recognize that the churches in Corinth um, have God's grace with them. And Paul here finishes in verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I'm going to read it again. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. God calls us to be generous, gracious, open-hearted, not entrapped by our own uh, low self-esteem, our own insecurities. I know that we've been grieving what has happened in Paris and all over the world, these, these terrorist attacks. Our hearts are devastated and we're broken and, and, and we feel that fear. I know as a nation, I can sense the anxiety that we have. 
about how do we protect ourselves and what if this happens to us and how do we how do we live out what it means to be Christian in the midst of everything that's going on? There's a, there's a man by Antoine, his name is Antoine Larrys. He he wrote this open letter. This the woman next to him is his wife, uh, his wife that was killed just a week ago by these terrorists. Devastating and left behind this baby. And he wrote this letter that has really, really touched my heart. And it's touched the heart of a nation because this letter went viral. A hundred thousand people have read this letter because he exhibits such graciousness and generosity. Let me read it for you this morning. On Friday night, you stole the life of an exceptional being, the love of my life, the mother of my son, but you won't have my hatred. I don't know who you are, and I don't want to know. You are dead souls. If this God for which you kill indiscriminately made us in his own image, every bullet in the body of my wife, will have been a wound in his heart. So no, I don't give you the gift of hating you. You are asking for it, but responding to hatred with anger would be giving in to the same ignorance that made you what you are. You want me to be afraid, to view my fellow countrymen with mistrust, to sacrifice my freedom for security. You have lost. I saw her this morning. Finally, after many nights and days of waiting, she was just as beautiful as when she left on Friday night. Just as beautiful as when I fell hopelessly in love over 12 years ago. Of course, I'm devastated with grief. I admit this small victory, but it will be short-lived. I know she will accompany us every day. And that we will find ourselves in this paradise of free souls to which you'll never have access. We are too, my son and I. But we are stronger than all the armies of the world. I don't have any more time to devote to you. I have to join Melville who is waking up from his nap. He is barely 17 months old. He will eat his meals as usual. And then we're going to play as usual. And for his whole life, this little boy will threaten you by being happy and free. Because no, you will not have his hatred either. I think this moves us because it calls us. The Spirit calls us to live generous lives, gracious lives. I know that it begs some questions in us about how we engage this material, how we can participate with what God is doing in us, 
what the Spirit is moving us to do, we ask, we must ask ourselves, how much time do we give away? If I believe in, in the school programs and in the soccer programs, in the arts, in the church, if I believe in these things beyond myself, how much time am I invested in caring for these programs? How much of my money do I give away? If I believe in furthering, on, furthering the education of children and investing in the next generation and, and changing the world and making sure malaria doesn't kill another child when it can be prevented by nets, how much am I giving away? And how about my heart? Are we staying emotionally available, hospitable, warm? Are we staying and maintaining being gracious, gracious people, warm people? Because when we don't, we just wallow in our own isolation, in our own hatred, in our own insecurities. Christ is calling us to live beautiful beautiful, fulfilling lives. Let us live open-handed and open-hearted. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we, we stand in awe of your grace. At the same time, we are aware of those who are suffering. May we extend that kind of grace to people who are suffering. May our hearts, may we allow our hearts to be broken along with those who are suffering. When, may we pray for, for those who are hurting. May we ask for healing and restoration in their lives. Change our hearts so that we can become gracious people. Change our hearts, O oh Lord, so that we don't become entrapped by our own fears. Help us be open-handed and open-hearted. In Christ we pray. Amen.